Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, March 30th. 30th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, the international break is over. Thank God we can boogie with Scotland in the internationals. But first, the scariest game of the year is back. It is Manchester City versus Liverpool at the Etihad. And I am going to get into it. First, like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. Grab it on Facebook. Grab it on YouTube. Grab it on your favorite podcast player. The Squeaky Bum Time podcast is everywhere. It's on the Premier Streaming Network, but they are our friends and let us go where we want to go. So get involved and get to it. So first, I want to go straight to Liverpool City because these games are the what I call the Nuevo Clasico. Uh, over the last five years, these games have been incredible, passionate, intense, the best football you can see. Uh, it's not chippy. There's no violence between these two teams, but they have a mutual respect. The fans know that it's a game that we both feel awful about. I know Manny has deep-seated hatred for seeing Bernardo Silva run down and close everything down he can find in the universe. He never stops running, never stops ever. Uh, but that's what why he always plays in these games, because he's absolutely incredible. Uh, both teams come in um, in okay form. City just on a good streak of unbeaten in their last seven, in their last six with a draw. Liverpool losing their last match to Bournemouth. No, no, that's not their last match. What? Did they lose their last match to Bournemouth before the international break? Yes, they did. <laughs> oh, what a pathetic team they are. They're having a very, very tough season. I forgot how shit they've been. Uh, so that's pretty incredible and pretty funny. Uh, so we see where they are going into that game. Um, injuries, injuries, injuries are a part of this. So we know a couple things for each team that are around. So for City, the big damage is Phil Foden is out until May. No. <laughs> he was just getting into form. He's had a hard time. He's having his appendix removed. Why does he need an appendix? Just play with it. He must have really been shitting his pants a lot or in a lot of pain. I remember my friend Jose in the sixth grade missed the whole school year because he had his appendix out. Wow, Jose, hang in there. Uh, Erling Haaland, I'm not sure if this is real, he missed his international with the net with with Norway, but then is he hurt? Is he not hurt? I'm not sure. Nobody knows. But Julian Alvarez would be available. City already, we're fine. I'm not worried about it. And then Kevin De Bruyne comes in in incredible, incredible form. Uh, City have been playing this weird four back uh, concept with John Stones and Nathan Ake at right and left back. They can do it. They're good enough. Um, but, you know, it is a little bit defensive, especially when you have Akanji, Diaz, Stones, and and Ake. Oof, that is just so much defense. We lose a little in our flow, but does that make a difference? I don't know. Pep is all over the place. I don't know what this team does anymore. They're all over the place. For uh, Liverpool, it's no Thiago still. 
Uh, Basetich, I think, is a, is a big miss for them. He held the fort for a while there and was doing okay. The nice thing is Simakis and Darwin Nunez should return. I'm afraid of Darwin Nunez. He's really good. He brings a lot, a lot, a lot of energy to this game and brings a lot. And we'll see if Liverpool's front three of Salah Gakbo Nunez. I know Nunez wanted to be in the middle, but now he's out on the left um, supporting. So on the right, excuse me, supporting Gakbo. It seems to work. Gakbo as Firmino makes more sense. He's the footballer. He drops in. And then we'll see the Elliot Fabinho Henderson thing, you know, Liverpool are going to Liverpool. They're going to do their thing. Uh, the only thing I can think of that's interesting about the back line for Liverpool is Van Dijk got blasted by the Dutch press saying he's not a leader. He says a lot, but doesn't do a lot and doesn't win anything. Very weird. Um, but they don't come in in great form. I think the fact of the matter is any game can become a performance for Liverpool. You have these amazing highs and lows, 7-0 versus United, and then 1-0 versus Bournemouth. City could bring out the best. I don't know. City have not been their flying, attacking death machine. Yes, I know Erling Holland has 40 goals, but I watch City every week, week in and week out. And let me tell you, this team is not as fluid. This is not your mom's Manchester City. This is not your dad's Manchester City. Uh Raheem Sterling isn't walking through that door. Leroy Sané isn't walking through that door. Fernandinho knocking guys over, smiling and helping them up is not walking to that door. There's a lot less athleticism, but there is more control. So City are more methodical, slower. There seems to be only one person who passes the ball to Erling Holland, and that is um, Kevin De Bruyne. Thank God for that, uh, because without De Bruyne, Holland doesn't get service. Uh, there was a little period there where De Bruyne was slipping, 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 Um and he has come back into form. Something that is interesting. I'm a big fan of who scored. And they had a stat that in terms of their, they have an automated rating system that does the one to 10 thing. And they kind of are a good place to get a sense of where your team is. Erling Holland, Phil Foden, and Kevin De Bruyne are some of the lowest form players from the beginning of the season. What does that mean? From the change in the uh, World Cup. They were much, they had much better form before the World Cup than they did after. And that visually does come true. Now, they were at such high levels that they were at 7.9 and now they're at 7.1 or 7.7 .7 and now they're at 7 even. But, you know, it is crazy. Just to give you a sense uh, on season averages, Holland's at 7.2, uh, 7.5, excuse me. De Bruyne's on 7.5, near the top of the league. Gundogan, 6.97. Rodri, who's great, 7.4. Uh, Allison on Liverpool is 6.95. He's the number one goalkeeper in the world. And no one except for Mo Salah is over seven for Liverpool. And your friend Harvey Elliott is a 6.5. So just to give you a sense of the numbers are, uh, they have a whole algorithm. It's fun to look at. And again, it's just one of these things like, how do we measure people? How do we know what they're doing? It tends to overvalue um left backs or right or defensive players. Like if you look at this, Ben Mee and Tarkovsky have been the best center backs ever, <laughs> which is a little bit weird and a little bit wily. So that's the early game. I'm super excited about it. Um, I don't have like one of my profound uh, moments for this, but I do 
think about this as our Nuevo Clasico, our big, um, the world is watching game. Now, granted, City will never be in the class of Real Madrid or Barcelona, but I think from a from a where is the best talent in the world playing and where you're going to see the best football, I think this game is it, uh, or has been at least, because uh, Liverpool's midfield has really damaged their credibility in this game, to be fair. And um, City is still playing at a high level, but it's not as frantic, not as incredible. It's much more subdued and chilled versus what it was. So it's a little bit different and a little bit uh, quieter than it has been, which is a shame uh, just just, just for everyone to know. Uh, but it's still a great game, and I'm expecting City, this is a must win. If City loses this game, this, the title's over. And I've been through this with Liverpool a million times, January 3rd, 19, all the games, Leicester going game after game after game after game after game. And I'm semi-glad that it's not as loaded, but it is pretty loaded, uh, <laughs> just to give a sense of, of where we are. Um, other games, so that's the early game tomorrow. Then we're going to have a relegation battle, Nottingham Forest. These are all the, the, the three o'clock games. So these will be all on uh, goal rush. Forest versus, versus Wolves. Arsenal leads where we'll go next. Bournemouth v. Fulham. Brighton-Brentford, always a great game. Palace versus Leicester. Those are all the 3 p.m. games. Then we'll have Chelsea and Aston Villa to round out Saturday. Then on Sunday, we'll have West Ham versus Southampton and Newcastle versus Manchester United. So those are the those would be the big games that I'm thinking about. Next, we'll go to Leeds and have a look there. Um, as much as I want Arsenal to lose, I just can't see it. Uh, relatively uninjured. Actually, that's not true. Saliba is out. Uh, so Rob Holding and his wig will come back into the side. If he wears that fucking headband again and taunts people about his hair, I'm going to be very angry. Aside from that, Enketia's out, not a big deal. Thomas Partey, doubtful, along with Kiernan Tierney, but those he's not a starter anymore. So Partey not being in the squad would be uh, something that's an advantage for Leeds to take advantage of, but they have their own missing players. Tyler Adams, Stuart Dallas and Adam Forshaw are all out for them. They do bring back the great and powerful Willie Nyonto, who I want to always call Gnocchi because he looks like a Gnocchi, uh, except he's he's a, he's a black Gnocchi. He's an African-Italian player. Uh, really great, fun team. I still don't like Meslier, who I've complained about. He has a mistake in him. Uh, Koch and Cooper just try and hang on in defense. And Ailing, who's a championship-level player, who's come up with leads the whole time, is still playing. He's going to have to match up against Martinelli. That's not going to be easy for him. Firpo is more of an attacking player. He'll be going up against Saka. So there'll be a lot of work for McKenney and Cooper to help out with Saka. The, the, the front three of Arsenal are clicking right now, especially when you throw in Odegaard as the fourth. Martinelli, Trossard, Saka, Odegaard is about as formidable a group as you're going to get. Um, for my beloved Brighton, Trossard was fantastic. We all knew it. We all knew he'd come in and just be a part of it. I think he fits in more with this group versus um, 
Gabriel Jesus, who as much as he was important early in the season, he really didn't score. But what he did was he showed force. He showed energy. He gave the team personality that I think Arsenal took on. They did take on that city high energy personality. And, and Ketia gave them a, a bridge to gap through there. But Trossard coming in gives them a focal point and a kind of nous and technical uh, slickness that goes along and, and relieves some of the pressure on Odegaard to create everything. And between he, Martinelli, and Saka moving around, it's going to be really, really hard for Leeds to get out of this game. Now, after international breaks, always difficult, always tough, always tricky. Saka had a great time uh, in the UK. Holding didn't play. I don't know, Gabriel, where he went. White didn't play for England. Uh, Zinchenko had a game, but it was for the Ukraine in England. So that was no big deal. And Ramsdale did not see any minutes. So they come in relatively intact. Um, God, I just want Arsenal to lose. I don't want them to win the league. Is it okay to say that? Am I allowed to wish ill on Arsenal? Please, will you fucking blow this season? Um, I think their chance to blow it got blown away with the Aston Villa and the Bournemouth games that were such emotional highs. And then they were able to turn it down, have the easy wins versus Palace and um, and Fulham, and that really settled the nerves. So they had the emotional games that you thought would have been at the end of the season, but they had them right in week 13 and 14 to blow a lead of eight points, even if you have a game, even if they have a, even if City has a game in hand, with 10 to go would be an epic collapse. Epic collapse. This Arsenal team don't, have that in them right now don't have that in them right now they are in this thing if they lose it they blew it that's it anything less than winning the title at this point for arsenal is a bottle and choke job it simply is there's no if ands or buts they simply have to just hang on. They can even lose the city game. Uh, it'll get very squeaky bum time. Everyone has to drink, but they have a lead. There's a reason for it. They lose the city. They got a two point lead. They're fine. City has to win every single game, every single game, week in, week out. Try and beat Bayern. Try and win the FA Cup. This is Arsenal's to win. Not a worry about them at all. I'm putting the pressure on Arsenal. Don't fucking let it slip. You've got to go again and again and again. <laughs> Are you, you, you like that one? Uh, and then uh, a game that I love, and I know there's probably other games to jump around, but Brighton versus Brentford. I talk about these two clubs all the time. They're great clubs with great stories, probably two of the best run clubs in the Premier League. Not the biggest, not the richest, but best run from top to bottom. Tony Bloom and Bernhelm both run these clubs perfectly they're linked as usual i like to say it over and over again they worked in the gambling data world and both made lots of money i think benham was a was a quant and actually worked uh in making money on in 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 the city in london and then went into football and gambling bought brentford bought michelin first and then brentford um and they've both lifted their respective clubs that they love into this place where they both can battle both can show different ways to win, different innovative ways. You know, with Brighton, you had Potter, but you had this great recruitment and Ainsworth, who's now on to Newcastle um, and, and Bloom. 
having a strong structure of how they want to build the club, getting the Amex done, getting to the Premier League, having a step-by-step process, now developing players, selling them on, and reloading again, right? They've moved on Trossard because they had Matomo already. They're going to move on Caicedo because they've got uh, McAllister, or they'll move on McAllister and try and keep Caicedo. They've got the players. They've got Billy... um, Billy Gilmore in the wings. You know they're waiting for either Caicedo or McAllister to go, and they'll put Billy Gilmore in, and they'll give him a shot, even though he had a big-name move. But he's still there, and he can still do stuff. He's got to get strong. I saw him on the bench for Scotland. For Brentford, they're in a really strong place right now. They're really about Tony. Uh, He's probably going to get a ban for his gambling, but right now they're in really great shape. Both teams can feel good about their status Brighton have more to play for. Uh, They still are in the FA Cup. Uh, They still have a chance to make it to Europe. It's distinctly possible. I don't think they will, but they can. Neither team has too many crazy injuries of their starters. Uh, I guess Vitaly Janalt is is sort of bigger for for Brentford. And then uh, we know about Adam Lallana being hurt. Um, His career is probably getting closer to over than beginning again. But that that midfield for Brighton, hardworking, destructive. Norgard's one of the most underrated defender midfielders in the league. Jensen, Norgard, Damsgard, just such a strong group. Sometimes Yaneld comes in, and then Tony and Embuemo making it all happen. And then Pinnock and me, just great, great, strong defense along with Raya. They know who they are. They play as they will, and they just go for it. And then on on the on the Brighton side, you're going to see an attacking super funk team: Matoma, McAllister, March, Ferguson, who I love, love, love. Evan Ferguson, 18 years old, giant Republic of Ireland striker, getting into uh, getting into it with Mbappe already, just great. And of course, my most lovable defender. I love Lewis Dunk. I won't be shy about it. I think Duncan Webster are the most underrated pair in the league. Uh, they've already swapped out for uh, Robert Sanchez. They're like, you know what? We're good. And they've now, because he was making mistakes and they're going with Jed Steele, which is just crazy what Deserby's done. I love this team. And then Estupian and Caicedo, the South Americans, just giving him the business. Caicedo, I think they're, are they both Ecuadorian or one's Ecuadorian? I don't know. I just fucking love them. Yeah, Estupinian. I think they're both Ecuadorian. So they've, so that's one of the sort of, yeah, they're both Ecuadorian. That's one of the markets that, um, that Brighton has seen value in a a smaller South American country. And they've gone and, you know, really scouted well and done a good job with their network to, to find players that are unusual. Uh, McAllister probably taken just because he's going bald. His dad's bald. I just like to make fun of balds. That's just what I do. That's just how I do it. Uh, those will be the games that I've got my eye on um, as I go through uh, this week's matches. Um, the stories are starting to uh, starting to slow down. I mean, we've got Spurs that I've talked about under multiple episodes. Uh, we know that Conte's out. I think Spurs plays on the Monday, so they're less on the radar yet. I'll just go one further. Yeah. Spurs plays Everton on Monday, uh, an important game that they really can't lose, even though it's at Everton with Dyche. They're going to have a big fight on their hands. But the game I want to go to next after Brighton is um, 
I do want to go Newcastle, Manchester United. This is a big one for Newcastle. They've righted the ship in that they have now got Isak at the helm, at the striker position. Uh, he's just such an upgrade over Callum Wilson. He's making the thing go. He kind of undoes the muck that was going on, especially they had that malaise period where Guimaraes was out, and he's so vital to the team. that This team's not quite good enough yet to miss any player. So when when Bruno wasn't there, Botman and Shar got exposed. Dan Byrne just is such a tryhard, but he's a six foot seven left back. It's fucking weird. <laughs> and then Trippier, of course, fantastic. That 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 defensive five, Byrne, Botman, Shar, Trippier, and Pope, just imperious. Only 19 goals conceded all season. And then for them, their problem is scoring goals. So they'll get Isak on the ball and see how things are going. Almiron is out, which is a downgrade for them. They really needed him. He hurt his thigh on international duty. Um, but, you know, there's not much depth there. You know, you have Anthony Gordon, maybe, say Maximum, maybe. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from them. For United, still Casemiro out with the red card of absurdity. Uh, a bunch of players that are doubtful, but, you know, I feel like Rashford, Varane, you know, they'll be there and we still have no sight of Ericsson who they're going to need. But thankfully they had did such a great job during the, um, during the window that they got Sabitzer and Veghorst, not guys that will be there forever, but guys that are there now that help United. Uh, this should be a, I could see it being a draw um, for these teams and Veghorst really has to score. Did you know that in their international duty against the, Mighty Maltese the at Malta, the island in the middle of the Mediterranean. The Netherlands took 50 shots. I don't even know how you take 50 shots. What's that? One every other... That's Every 40 seconds, they were taking a shot on goal. Veghorst, of course, didn't score because, you know, why would he score? <laughs> <laughs> He's just a madman. Uh, but we'll see uh, where that is. That's about as even a game as you could call... Uh, especially with Newcastle at home, at home. Uh, I do think, you know, there's a parallel between these two teams that goes back through Premier League history, and they do hold something. Uh, either it's the, either it's the I would love it from Kevin Keegan when they were blowing the title, or just the colors and the letters, Newcastle United, Manchester United, black and white and red and gold. There's something romantic about the smell, the connection between the two clubs. There's something extra about it, representing the East, the Northeast and the Northwest together as two clubs that are important for England, but maybe not for the world, but for England. I think Newcastle does hold something special, uh, especially against United. It, it's reminiscent of a time. It's it's reminiscent of Shira. It's a reminiscent of Sir Bobby Robson. There's a lot of important early Premier League history between these two clubs that as the narrative of the Premier League was forming, they started it. They get their names into the books and they become part of the story. Um, Newcastle have had two good periods and now they're in their third period. They had early period after just before Shearer joined when they thought they were going to win, they had finished second um, and then Shearer joined them when he, you know, shirked United from Blackburn 
and then they had a decline when um they had a decline period and then Robson comes back in the mid 2000s where they do make the Champions League again then they have a false dawn under uh um under Mike Ashley one season with Pardue the the Pape Cisse season when they finished fifth inexplicably they should never have finished fifth and then they sort of stayed they get they got relegated and they had gotten relegated before Sam Allardyce and all this sort of bullshit anyway great club great matchup fun game I'm into it uh player to watch for for me is how's Rashford doing he's gone off the boil a little bit and I think if if United really want to kick on and solidify their top four. They need Rashford to play well. They have... United have done a little bit with smoke and mirrors. This is not an underlying numbers great team. Uh, they still don't score enough goals from the number nine position. They live on Rashford's amazing fucking uh, clinical firing. Um, and then, you know, there's still Fred playing. And there's still... Something's off. When they don't have their players... They're not as good as they should be. So just be careful, United. You're doing well, but don't rest on your laurels. Like they still have to grind and still have to really work to get their wins because they don't blow teams away. They win by one goal uh, and really hang in there and, and fight as a unit. I do like what I've seen from United, but I don't think they're quite at the level of some of their friends, right? Like, yes, they're in third. They're only a plus six goal difference. Now, did they give up a seven goal difference? Let's say they lost three nil. It'd still be only a nine goal difference, right? As opposed to the plus six. So that puts them in line more in, with Brentford and behind Brighton as a plus six than uh, you'd expect. So something tricky there, something to think about with United that they they have they have had tendencies to get blown out sometimes when things don't work right. So they have to be careful. They have to really work, have to really be strong. And then their, their margins are very small. They could lose to Newcastle. But if they work hard and play, they had been when they were informed, they'll be fine. So interesting stuff there. Um, so we talked about United. We talked Brentford. I went to Manchester United and Newcastle. Um, fun little game here. I think Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Uh, Chelsea had a bad, bad run the other game the other day that would have been a bit of an embarrassment for Chelsea to have... Um, have drawn just before the break and yeah with Everton that 2-2 game that they really really felt like a loss Ellis Sims pulling it out where they just got outworked uh and that should never happen uh I think Potter will need to have a good performance against Aston Villa against a quality manager with a strong team I think honestly Unai Emery should be the coach of Chelsea he's probably a better manager he just has that narrative of that good evening that he's a little bit weird. He's a little bit awkward, but in terms of like coaching, like if you could remove any of the sort of uh, good evening and the kind of the dark hair and the kind of strange faces that, that, um, that Unai Emery makes, he's a great coach and a winner wins trophies, wins trophies. And his defensive tactical mentality is more in line with Chelsea than what I think Potter is. So interesting mix there. I could see Emery actually getting to Chelsea. He might be a, the right kind of manager for them down the road, but maybe not. I don't know. I could be, I could be wrong. I could be completely off base um, with that, but Chelsea need a performance there um, because I think 
you know, they they did get off the schneid and get themselves back together, but Aston Villa are good and they're well coached. And Ollie Watkins is not gonna is is not is gonna work hard and you're not gonna beat them because he didn't work. Uh, it feels like Watkins, Buendia, Bailey, Ramsey as a foursome going forward is really strong. And then <clears throat> McGinn and Louise are putting their partnership back together. So I think Villa, they have a strong known group. Uh, their weaknesses are like Mings has a mistake in him. Kanza can get be asleep at the wheel. You know, Martinez might do something silly once in a while, but they're quite good and quite strong. Um, but, you know, Chelsea have way more talent and should be able to pull this out. Uh, but it is a weird sort of group. Thiago Silva missing for Chelsea, still a big deal. They need him back. Uh, and then there's a bunch, there's so many players on Chelsea. I can't even go through the list. There's just hundreds and hundreds of players <laughs> just missing. There's just uh, so many dudes. Uh, the big news, though, is that N'Golo Kante uh, could return, which would be great for football, would be great for Chelsea. Chelsea never win when he's not playing. When he plays, they are a contender. When he doesn't, they are not. Uh, I think that has been the big uh, important thing since 2016. Chelsea win with Conte and lose without him. So I can't wait to see uh, Fernandez, Conte, where Kovacic plays, or if if they're smart enough to go to a back four and let Conte play in a three with Kovacic and Fernandez. I don't know. I don't know what sort of flexibility uh, Potter has. He loves his three at the back so that he can have Chilwell and James flying forward. And they are better when those two are there. Um, but we'll see what's happening. They've got to score goals. They've got to score goals. Chelsea, by the way, secretly, even in this dark period, really have a good defense. They don't really give up much at all. Uh, I think that's the secret to them is they bore you to death and then they don't score and then they lose 1-0 or they draw. But Chelsea will have their hands full versus Aston Villa, a very, very good, well-coached team that I've that Mike and I, going way back to Lampard, really liked this team, and they should never have been where they were. And that's why that's why uh, Gerard got fired, frankly. He just didn't have them where they were. And now, right now, Aston Villa are right where they should be. They're, you know, within a few points of ninth on 38. They will not go into 12th. There's no chance. So they are comfortably a mid-table side, right sitting right in there. They could get as high as six. Liverpool's on 42, Aston Villa on 38. There's no there's no guarantee that Liverpool are going to kick on. They have been poor almost all season, so we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, wanna Do, do want to keep on some of our relegation friends? Um, <clears throat> Bournemouth versus Fulham. Bournemouth at home. Fulham missing Mitrovic. Um, missing Silva. After the bump, Fulham's underlying numbers really poor. I could see Bournemouth pulling this one out. Uh, Fulham are, you should fade them. Their numbers are not good. They've been living on Paulinho's amazingness, uh, but they could start to slip because the luck runs out. That little 5% of energy, I could see Bournemouth getting a win here, especially at home, especially in a relegation battle. And then another relegation mega battle. We have two, Chelsea, sorry, Crystal Palace at home versus Leicester, West Ham versus Southampton. Uncle Roy takes over. Uh, Palace, I don't know how he's going to play. The problem for 
Crystal Palace was not defense. They couldn't score. They couldn't score. So I don't know what what Roy's going to do. Uh, is he just going to sit further back? Uh, he's got to get them going forward. While Leicester's problem is the opposite. They love going forward. Uh, if they score goals, they'll give up four. Um, but the thing is, Leicester's problem is they they concede tons, but Crystal Palace doesn't score any. So I could see Leicester winning this game away from home pretty easily. And the Boo Birds and the darkness will come for uh, Crystal Palace. I expect two. Uh, I expect Leicester to beat Palace, and then West Ham versus Southampton. Southampton are dynamic and fun, and I like what's going on with them. But you've got to think. I mean, if if David Moyes loses to Southampton at home on Sunday, he's getting fired. That's just the fact of the matter. They cannot. This game is about as must win for David Moyes as he's had all season. He's had a lot of games. He's had a lot of chances. He's the only manager in the bottom seven. He who hasn't. He's the only club manager from the bottom seven who hasn't been sacked, I believe. Oh, aside from Brendan Rodgers, who's now in line for, of course, cheap-ass fucking Tottenham. He wants to go to Tottenham now. Brendan Rodgers to Tottenham would be classic Spurs. Classic. A choking, bottling manager goes to the choking, bottling team so that they can be good and then choke and bottle. Amazing. Please, Brendan Rodgers, please go to Spurs, get Spurs' hopes up, and then blow it. <laughs> Oh, God, that would be amazing. Anyway, uh, West Ham do need that win against Southampton. I really like Southampton. Why do I like Southampton? I don't know. I like what I've seen from Sellis, and I like what I've seen from Lavia. And, of course, any team that has James Ward-Prowse is legendary. I'm pretty sure they don't have a striker because I think uh, if I looked correctly, I'm pretty sure Che Adams got hurt in the Scotland game. I'm just going to double-check that one, but... Yeah, just totally insane, totally wild. Uh, yeah, Che Adams, doubtful. Eh, we'll see. Uh, injuries for um, for West Ham, minor. Fabianski and um, and um, Mikel Antonio. We'll see what happens there. Um, I'm not sure what the plan is from, um, from Moyes. He's got to win this game. If he loses against Southampton, he's in deep, deep, deep shit. Like fired deep shit. Like the sword of Daishikli's now fallen on Everton. There's no more sword. Uh, I don't know who the next manager would be. And it definitely doesn't rhyme with Daishikli's, uh, with D D Damocles. So we'll have to find someone else to be the sword of Damocles. But uh, West Ham's a good job. That's a good team. I just think that, that Moyes just doesn't know how to go to the next step. He knows how to take an underdog squad of guys that he runs into the ground. But when you start putting better players in place, his mojo starts to mojo away. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, I do I do think that does segue to something that I wanted to talk about because we've got Everton versus uh, Spurs on Monday. And that's managers, how it works, what makes a good manager. Uh, there was a really good two-part uh, thing on The Athletic, and they talked about management and what makes a good manager and how much of it is the brand, how much of it is confidence, how much of it is coaching and how weird it is in the premier league that only the coaches are the only people who have to uh, talk. Like you don't get directors of football. You don't get a PR person. You don't get players. The manager has to talk 
every, tw- two times per game for every game, right? So once before, once after, and then usually after every game off the pitch. So when he comes off the pitch, so there's two press conferences for the press where they sit there. And those are the ones you can watch on YouTube. And then two TV spots before every game because it's international game. So uh, that's that's a lot of commitment that you're not on the pitch, plus whatever other kind of like shaking babies. It's kind of a political role. So you kind of need a good politician who actually is competent, which is a very weird mix uh, of folks. And there's, you know, what kind of managers you are, do they fit in? And I think the line that I heard that I liked the most was a manager has to be the right person for a club at the right time in the right moment at in the right process point. So like, you know, if you're coming up from the divisions, David Moyes is the right person. But if you're three seasons in, he's not. Are you a project manager? Are you a firefighter? Are you a ready-made to win coach? Are you a build it with your own guys coach? Are you a staunch ideologue about how you have to play or are you pragmatic will you change with how you do things it's so fascinating it's so interesting about how that works and i think sometimes teams do need to swap around like i do think weirdly brendan rogers would be good at west ham and spurs at this point but not good at say arsenal because of reasons, right? Where the expectations, there's like a, a level where you fit. Like right now, I don't feel like Moyes is the right fit for West Ham anymore, but he might be the right fit for Leicester. So like, could they swap managers? Like it feels like right now, Leicester needs that, hey, we're solid, give the ball to Madison. He's going to create everything. Vardy's going to get on the end of it. We're going to score goals by sitting deep and doing our thing, right? But whereas you know, they kind of are out of that and they need more defensive solidity. Whereas West Ham are like, dude, Moyes, we got this. Let's go score some fucking goals. We got guys. Let's do it. Where Rodgers would be better at that and let Fabianski and Dawson and 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 Kurt Zuma just defend and be like, fuck it. We're going to we're going to fight our asses off to do it. So there's these weird moments where you feel like a manager could shift, but you don't do it because you know, you don't really see your team shift underneath a manager. It's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like the Godfather where you have <clears throat> peacetime and wartime consolieres, right? Like sometimes you got to go to the mattresses where you need a firefighter, like a Daesh, but Daesh would be terrible at say, you know, Arsenal. Like, could you imagine Daesh at Arsenal? What He wouldn't even know what to do. He would be like, well, what do we're not defending. We're not doing it this way. We're going to be nervous and sort of thing. But like, could he? I don't know. I'd love to find out. Uh, but it's fascinating how managers fit within the hierarchy. And then the other thing is that's interesting about the high-level managers for these super clubs, right? Your your Real, Barca, PSG, Bayern, Man United, City, Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. That group of clubs. There seems to be only like eight managers and they just keep rotating, even though none of them really fits None of them is really for the right club. None of them really goes there. So, so fascinating. And we're going to find out more about um, the management at Spurs on Monday. So um, Stellini, is it Stellini takes over? Uh, He must have been like, hey, Conte, is it cool if I keep this job? Christian Stellini and Ryan Mason take over. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you can stay. I got my check. I'm out of here. Unfortunately for Spurs, they've got a, their, their starting midfield is gone. So Basuma and and Betancourt have been out all year. Ben Davies is actually a good thing that he's out. 
And then, you know, they 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 still have Kane, Son, and Kulishevsky and Hoiberg and Skip. Where's the creativity? Why is Eric Dyer still playing in defense? I'll never understand. Frazier Foster's terrible. Buy a fucking goalkeeper. What are you doing? Spurs. Jesus Christ. And then for uh, Everton, I love Tarkovsky. I don't like Keane, but Godfrey, Godfrey Tarkovsky, Keane with Gay Onana Decore. They're going to play like this deep. They're going to schmuck. I mean, none of these, neither of these teams are going to want the ball. And we'll see if the force of Everton just comes and punches Spurs in the face and they just go, oh, what the fuck? I mean, I could see Kane just pulling this game out because he's that good. But, um, you know, Spurs need a performance as well here. And that's the sort of weekend of the Premier League. Now, I do want to go back to wrap up some of the international stuff but really there's only one there's only there's only one game i care about and that's scotland too spain nil oh scott mctominay hamden park they can boogie i'm so happy for scotland um it's just an incredible incredible result for scotland to beat spain with their new coach uh and spain just are still still soft frankly they just don't have juice they don't have energy they don't have a striker they tried to disrespect the scots and the scots fucking put it on them so good for scotland i really enjoyed that i thought that was a strong performance uh really happy about that what i saw uh other games this is the netherlands three game they took 50 shots 52 shots and only scored three goals what an incredible and and, uh, and nathan ake scored two of them i don't know what the fuck was going on in that game 52 shots Gibraltar were a man down from 51. Uh, I don't know. That game's inhuman. 52 shots. I don't know what happened there. Uh, Italy, I think I talked about these on Monday. Uh, let's see. Any other games? Sweden, Azerbaijan. Eh. Hungary, Bulgaria. Romania, Belarus. Croatia get back off the schneid after drawing. They, get, they beat Turkey. Uh, then Scotland, Spain. Like I said, that was the big one. That was huge. That really put them on good footing. Yeah, I talked about Ireland and France a little bit on Monday. Nothing really crazy here. So really just about Scotland and Spain. Scotland trying to make another European championship. With the expanded numbers, they should have no problem. Scotland and Spain, top of their group. France and Greece, top of theirs. England and Italy, both top of their groups. Italy, they should walk through these things. Croatia and Wales. Wales getting that draw versus Croatia puts them in good good stead czech republic and poland in the they that one seems a bit more open australia austria and belgium lead their group belgium and kevin de bruyne playing well lukaku with the hat trick uh serbia get two wins even without mitrovic or maybe he did play slovenia also have two wins uh they're topping their group switzerland with two romania with two I haven't seen romania for many many years since haji uh was there and then portugal dropping a 10 spot on two games they face no opposition they're gonna walk their group so uh the euros looking you know they'll be next year year from now i don't know uh but anyway scotland looking good putting it on spain of course my friend rodri complaining that they had anti-football tactics i'm like yeah it's scotland of course they had fucking anti-football tactics what else are they gonna do they're scots their midfield played in the championship meanwhile spain's midfield is real madrid and 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 barcelona what do you want the scots to do 
You know what I mean? King Kenny ain't walking through that door. You know? That's all I'm saying. Craig Burley ain't walking through that door. Steve Nichol ain't walking through that door. <laughs> anyway, I am rambling. I am ranting. Can't wait for 4 a.m. Uh, City versus Liverpool. I'm getting up. I got to do the damage. Just get in there. Feel the pain. Feel it with me. And anyway, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple or any other podcast player, please rate and review the show. It means everything all the time, all at once.